Hello listeners, a friendly reminder that the companies and topics discussed on this podcast are general advice only. Please consult an advisor or accountant for any personal advice. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Market Pulse podcast. My name is Dion Griffin and this is episode 39, the Sacred Number Edition. Well, we have a few different topics to cover today and excitingly, I do have a listener question to cover off on, a very sort of practical question, I guess, about tax or tax considerations when it comes to investing. But as always, let's check in with how the market went this week. So the ASX 200 was up 1%. This was actually the fourth straight week of gains for the index. The S&P 500 over in the US, that was up 2.27%. And the NASDAQ was up 2.96%. Well, that's an overview of the, I guess, the three indices that we like to talk to or talk about on this podcast every week. But none of those were really the index that was in focus this week. That award, if there was an award, went to the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the Dow as it's most commonly referred to. The reason being for the first time ever, the Dow broke through the 30,000 point mark. And a lot of this is similar to the themes that we've watched playing out here on our own domestic market here in Australia. We've had a great month in November, like I said, at the top of the show, fourth straight week of gains for our benchmark index, which is the ASX 200. Much of this coming off the back of vaccine news. It feels it feels like vaccine month because every week there is something else happening in terms of vaccines. This week, of course, the update well, the update came from Oxford slash you know, AstraZeneca, so it's a joint trial between those two uh, regarding their vaccine. But all this vaccine news has really helped drive the US market, and that is in spite of how out of control the virus is over there, especially because our market's also been driven up in November, but we have the virus situation is very different here than it is in the States. Also, similar to what is happening here in Australia, you're seeing the market over in the US being pushed up by some of the I guess the bigger, more notable blue chips, as we like to say, companies that are, what are they, they're calling it, like the ones that are favoured coming out of lockdown, I suppose. And why I touched on all that, it, it's not a tangent at all from the Dow, but so the Dow is an index that kind of, I guess what, the way I see it, it represents those more traditional big blue chip companies on the American markets. In fact, the reason it's full name is the Dow Jones Industrial Average is because, well, one reason it's because it's very old. It's well over 100 years old. But And as the name suggests, most, when it was started, it basically included or what it was comprised of was industrial companies because these were the big companies in the US driving, you know, in, from the late 1800s into the, the early 20th century period. If you take this from Investopedia, so it says the Dow Jones Industrial Average was created in 1896 by Charles Dow. It originally consisted of only 12 companies. I won't list them all, but you've got like American cotton oil, American sugar, American tobacco, distilling and cattle feeding, General Electric's in there. They were probably one of the ones out of those names that you probably know of, GE, National Lead, Tennessee Coal. As you can see, a lot of industrial names there and just to acknowledge again that these were the big companies at the time and this is why indices are created broadly speaking because 
the whole market tends to move together in one way. And now, as you've hopefully learned from this show, it's not as simple as that. You do have certain trends, tailwinds or headwinds that affect particular industries or certain companies. So I don't mean everything moves in the same way at the same time. But when something like a vaccine is announced in the period of time that we find ourselves in, overall, you'll see the market push higher. And this is why our market has pushed higher quite significantly across November. Going back to the Dow quickly, it looks it looks very different now. It's no longer just 12 companies and none of those companies that I mis- uh, mentioned are in it anymore. I think GE, the General Electric, it would. I didn't actually look this up, but it would have to be one of the the longest standing ones that have been in the Dow because I don't think it is. It's definitely not in the Dow anymore. But it wasn't that long ago that it was taken out. The th- thirty companies that comprise the Dow now, you have banks and financial entities like J.P. Morgan Chase, American Express. You have the big food retailing names that we all know, like Coca Cola, McDonald's. You have some tech. You don't have all the big tech or all the big sort of massive NASDAQ companies, but you'll have some. You'll have Apple, uh, Microsoft, Cisco. Uh, You'll see other big manufacturers like Boeing or huge retailers like a Walmart. So all very, very big American name companies that make up the Dow. So there's 30 of them in total. And not to waffle on, but the reason I never really mentioned the Dow, there's a couple of reasons. It's kind of widely considered that the S&P 500 is a better look at how or a better indicator of how the US market's performing because it's expanded across a total of 500 companies because it's the S&P 500 as opposed to the Dow is only 30 companies. And then just to be clear, there is a crossover of basically the same companies that make up the Dow are also in S&P 500, but it's extended out to 500 companies in total as opposed to that 30. But the S&P 500 is market value weighted which simply means it's taking into account the value of the companies which is different to the Dow which looks at price weighting so the actual share prices of the companies themselves in the way that the index moves and that's an important distinction because the share price doesn't tell you a complete story really because you could have company A that their shares are $100 company B shares are also $100 which so far sounds pretty much the same. But remember, the the value of a company or its market cap is that share price multiplied with the number of shares in the company. So once we do that, we could see that company A is actually worth a trillion dollars in total, but company B is only worth $10 billion. So they are very, very different companies. That's just a kind of simple example and, and kind of why I think there's really only need to look at one, just the Dow or the S&P 500. But for our podcast, we always look at the S&P 500. But that's why the Dow was in the news during the week. So the sacred number, 30,000, it has been hit. Let's run through some of the news for our domestic uh, market here in Australia. Pretty decent week, like I said. Again, similar themes to the week prior or the weeks prior. The likes of banks continuing to improve. The travel sector. So again, those kind of areas of the market that benefit from a reopen those continuing to improve. Both Flight Center and Webjet were almost identical. They were up just around, just over 7.5% each. But actually, another sector having a really good week this week were miners, the likes of BHP and Fortescue having a pretty cracker of a week, up 7.1% and 9.6% respectively. Still seeing that rotation out of technology sector stocks that were very much the high flyers for most of this year. Likely a fair bit of profit-taking from individual investors and big fund managers 
going on and rotating back into some of those blue chips like the banks, like the material, uh, some of those mining companies like BHP and Fortescue. One, one good example of that that's happening is an ASX 200 stock called NextDC. You might have seen their logo around CBDs in various capital cities across Australia, but if you're unfamiliar, they're effectively just a, a giant data center business. So they act as a, a bit of a medium for businesses. And when I say businesses, I mean anything from sort of like a small medium business up to you know government level requirements or institutional enterprise requirements that where they they need a, they have a need to outsource you know, cloud computing and data center business to something like NextDC. So they're one of the high flyers for the year for 2020. But for the week, they were down just a smidge over 6%. But they started 2020 around $6.50 a share. They're now trading at about $11.28. At its peak this year, it was closer to $14. Uh, so when you sort of zoom out to the year that has just about finished, you can't feel too bad about some of those, these sort of pullbacks on some of these shares because if you've been if you've been in this company since day one or at least since the start of the year, you're, you're laughing. You've had a great 2020. <laughs> A few different things to discuss from this week. A lot of food and drink related happenings on the market. We'll talk about one involving a company I've discussed on this podcast in the past and one involving a company I don't think I've ever mentioned here before. But the first one is Treasury Wine Estate. And I'll pause it here and say that the news is actually specifically about Chinese import tariffs on Australian wine specifically. But that, of course, hit very hard against our biggest listed winemaker on the ASX, which is Treasury. Now, going back all the way to going a long way back, all the way back to episode seven of the podcast, we mentioned the news that Treasury Wine Estates was looking at a potential demerger of probably their most, uh, their best known brand, which is Penfolds. And now a few weeks ago, maybe even a month ago, that was confirmed that the company, that those initial plans have basically been put on hold. And some of that's due to restructuring their US side of their business. But more importantly, it's also because of this topic we touched on going back to episode 25, the Dear Diary edition of this podcast, in that we mentioned that China had begun an anti-dumping investigations against Australian wine imports. And this was due to complaints um, from their local, so from Chinese wine producers of dumping. And effectively what that charge means is a domestic producer of wine or China itself is looking into whether there is activity by Australian, Australian winemakers where they might be significantly undercutting market prices in China to sell their products more cheaply against the competition, the local domestic competition, which of course would, would hurt their industry there at home. And that's the, that's the sort of claim and allegation that China had been investigating. And that was ramped up at the end of this week, which caused a big drop in the Treasury Wine Estate share price when a notice was actually published by the Chinese Ministry of Commerce saying that indeed the product dumping, that, or that they said that product dumping had been going on and that it had damaged their local producers. A good article on this is from IG Markets. It's titled Treasury Wine Estate Share Price Collapses on 212% Tariff Hike. It's written here by Shane Walton. I'll just refer to the article here. It says, quote, the tariffs on Australian wine described as preliminary are set to come into effect on Saturday, November 2nd, and will range from 107.1% to 212%. This announcement comes after China launched anti-dumping investigations into Australian wine imports earlier this year. 
Investors ripped into Treasury wine estates in, in uh, their shares in response to this news with the stock plunging 11.25% to $9.23 per share. Uh, the stock was swiftly put in a trading halt pending the release of an announcement. So yeah, as per that last point in the article, Treasury wine estate shares did go on pause. They went into a trading halt. As of me recording this on in the morning on the 29th of November, that was well, a weekend, so that response hasn't been received. But TWE, I dare say, will probably release something to the market or some kind of response tomorrow morning. And it's interesting, some of our more notable companies on the ASX that have been some winners in the last few years have and experienced big growth in the Chinese market. A2 Milk is another one as a good example. They've experienced some various headwinds this year. For A2 Milk, it's more this sort of loss of the Daigo market and that's because of COVID restrictions, because of travel restrictions, of course, due to COVID, as well as some domestic competition in China for that company. But for Treasury Wine Estate, it's broadly... There's been an impact to their business because of the pandemic, just broadly speaking. Probably at less discretionary spending on expensive wines and things like that, especially in the first half of the year at least. But the story as of late has been this dumping investigation and if this sticks, it's going to really hurt their business because China is a, is a big part of their business or the big part of their growth of their business. I think just to make a general point, you're always sort of rolling the dice a little bit to an extent when the business you're investing in has market in China or is relying on large amounts of growth out of the Chinese market. And that is because the government there can just turn around and intervene, I guess, in ways that might not happen in other markets. Well, we'll see what TWE say. I mean, they can't really do anything except urge our government to try and maybe fix it. But, but I'll update you in a future episode if we have some more news regarding them. Another one I'll briefly mention is Bega Cheese, listed under ASX ticker code BGA. They announced a few days ago that they'd be, they would be acquiring Lion Dairy and Drinks. It's a gross sale price of $560 million. They would be funding that through partly through a capital raising as well as they'll be taking on some debt to do the whole acquisition there. Uh, Lion Dairy and Drinks, they're currently owned by Kieran and this acts... This uh, will actually put Bega in charge of some pretty familiar brands. So you've got Dairy Farmers, Farmers Union, Yoplait Yogurt, Dare Ice Coffee. <laughs> and oh, actually on the whole China and Australia trade spats at the moment that we discussed, this kind of ties into it a little bit because, and I'd forgotten, I'd sort of half forgotten about this, but Lion was actually going to be sold to a Chinese company which I can't recall the name of, but our government actually intervened and stopped. So that's this is the same company that was going to be sold to a Chinese firm. Um, that was stopped. I'm pretty sure that was last year, but the the same company is now being acquired by Bega Cheese, which is here in Australia. There's some news regarding Bega. I'm going to jump into a listener question. In this one, it comes from Katie in Adelaide. Kate, sorry. Hi, Dion. Thinking about doing my first investment, um, do you have any advice or suggestions uh, what I should look out for in regards to tax or doing my tax return when I own shares? Thanks, Kate. That's a good question. So, again, this is all general advice. So, I guess my, my first caveat I'll say is I'm not a tax professional. So, 
hopefully you do speak to a tax professional when you do do your tax return and they will make sure that it's done absolutely right. But I'll give you some general advice here. Actually, the first thing I will say too is one good, I guess, point of reference to have a look at this kind of information is just some of the government websites. It's actually really helpful. And it's how I learned a little bit about this myself when I was first interested in understanding tax and capital gains tax and things like this because both the ATO and the, there's another government site called Money Smart. They have information and examples on what to look out for or what to be aware of in regards to tax when it comes to uh, comes to dividends. But one of the reasons I say that, oh, yeah, obviously I'm not going to, I can't give you personal advice because I'm not able to or allowed to, but I'm basing this just broadly speaking. The the tax considerations can be different depending on. Are you investing under your just your name? Is it in some other kind of entity like a company or a trust? So I'm just going to sort of talk more to a personal name investing because I assume that's probably where you're going with this question. But the first one to be aware of is what's called capital gains tax or CGT. So if you make a you know if you make a profit, if you make a gain on an investment, you you will have to pay a capital gains tax. So you do have to let the tax men know about those capital gains you you also let them know about a capital loss so that would be where you've say invested ten thousand dollars and you've sold out of that company and you've got eight thousand back so you've made a capital loss there of two thousand because you can actually carry that loss forward into later income years that can be used to offset any capital gains so again a capital gain as you can imagine that's where you've made the profit on the shares so again in the case that like before you've invested say $10,000, you've sold for $15,000, so you've done quite well on that one, but you declare that capital gains tax. The CGT that you pay is based on your what's called your marginal tax rate. And the marginal tax rate is different for everyone, so it kind of depends on the highest tax bracket that you pay as a as an individual. And you pay that CGT, that capital gains tax for the tax year that you made the sale for, right? So you could have bought the shares years ago, but if you sold them today, you made the capital gain today, so it's in this current tax year that that capital gain will be calculated on and things like that marginal tax rate that that you would be on at that, at that time. Now, there's a couple of important things to note about CGT when it comes to shares. If you've actually held the shares for more than 12 months, you're only taxed on half of the capital gain. So... In that example I gave before where the imaginary person had bought some shares for 10000 sold those out at 15000 so a $5,000 capital gain, if they'd held it for, say, two years or any, any time over 12 months, they would only be taxed on $2,500, so not the full 5000 Now, again, why I mentioned the capital losses as well, which sounds terrible, of course, but it, you, you record those as well, because let's say the year prior, this imaginary person had made a capital loss on some shares of 1500 Well, then what could be done if it hadn't been offset already is, so because of that 50% discount, you've already brought your the taxable CGT amount down to 2500 But you could look back on the previous financial year and pull forward that $1,500 
capital loss and apply it here so you could bring it down further again to $1,000 that you'd be taxed on. But I will say, like I kind of said at the top of the show, no, sorry, the top of this question, jump on, the one I like the most is the Money Smart website because you can go into sections like investing and tax. You can look under making capital gains or losses and they talk about what a capital gain is, what a capital loss is. And they give you an example of like, you know, fake people of some examples of what they've done or, or how they, how they, how they're taxed on a, on a capital gain versus how they pull forward a capital loss from a prior, prior investment, things like that. Uh, you're a tax professional and accountant will know all about this, so you won't have to explain that to them. But it's a, it's a good, it's a good little resource there for you to understand. The other one to be wary of is dividends because dividends, if you receive them from a company, are considered income. So in the, in the exact same way that the job that you work, like you might have earned, I don't know, let's just say you weren't $60,000 this year uh, and then you weren't $2,000 in dividends that, from some of your shares, then you've earned 62000 So dividend is considered taxable income. So you have to declare dividends that you received as well. Now, and that is the case no matter what you do with the dividends, right? So some people, well, there are people that, receive the dividends just into their account and they can spend it as they want. They can go out and buy some dare ice coffee from bigger cheese. But the other so other people might, and not all companies or investments offer this, but they might set themselves up for dividend reinvestment plans where they actually don't see the dividend. The dividend gets turned into more shares in the company. So it just increases the holdings that they have in that company by the amount they're getting paid out. That doesn't mean that you're skipping the tax, okay? So you still have to declare it because you still technically got that dividend. It just it just got turned into more shares. So you still have to you still have to notify uh, in your tax return regardless. So dividends are another important thing. If your tax file number is applied to your holdings, it should be for again check your check this individually, but it should be uh, picked up automatically by the ATO when you're doing your tax return. If it's not, then you you will get statements when they pay dividends. So you should be able to find out all the information regarding you know the dividend that you received anyway. Where it gets a little bit trickier is some companies pay what's called a fully franked dividend or partially franked. This is basically a dividend where the company has already paid tax on it which means that you as a shareholder are entitled to a credit for the amount of tax that that company has already paid. The credit is what's called an imputation credit or a franking credit on the actual dividend itself. Now, if you're, well, you can look up the company you're investing in and see whether they, their dividends are franked or not. Some are fully franked, some are not at all, some are partially franked. The other way to see it is on those dividend statements that I mentioned prior, they'll show the amount of franked and unfranked dividend that you received, any franking credits that you're entitled to. They'll probably show you whether the, your tax file number is is on that holding at all. So that'll probably be a way for you to find that out. But all it means, it, all that kind of franking stuff means is it can it gives you back a little bit of a credit or an offset against the amount of tax that you will pay in those dividends. Again, your tax professional will understand all this kind of stuff very much so but just make sure you supply them with the right inf information. So those statements or summaries of those dividends that you've actually received. So capital gains tax and dividends are probably the two main ones that I'd say that you should really think about or understand. Now, again, I'm talking from the way I've invested, which is purely from an individual point of view. 
I don't know your personal circumstances or anything like that. So please jump online to some of those resources that I've talked to you about. Um, next time when you're doing your tax, if you've sold some shares and made a gain or you've been paid a dividend, just mention it to your accountant or whoever does your tax and they'll know exactly what to do. So that's it from me and that is it from the Market Pulse podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into episode 39. This has been the Sacred Number edition. If you do have questions for the show like we did just then, you can shoot those through to marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com. I like practical ones like the one we just had. That was great. So thank you for shooting that one through. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Dion Gribben. Cheers. <laughs>